This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Welcome again, brothers and sisters, to uh, Christchurch Jerusalem, to our Wednesday night Bible study, where we are wrestling with the last words of Moses. We're up to chapter 26, uh, coming towards uh, the final concluding song. There you go. On Moses' last day of life, he breaks out into a Cecil B. DeMille song and dance performance. It's a very interesting thing to do. Um, and we've noticed that a lot of these um, laws can't be operated physically, but they are all applied very spiritually, even uh, in the light of the New Testament to that, to our community. We've had some pretty good discussions. And so uh, we will honour the Lord by um, acknowledging his presence and his spirit through the words of prayer. Brother Neville, if you'd like pray us in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning and that you provide for us in so many ways to gather round your word and to be led by your spirit. Lord, we see that governments come and governments go, but you stay the same. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your provision. And we pray that your spirit would guide our discussions and enlighten our understanding. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you very much. Yes, may God indeed bless America. Okay, so um, reading from the notes of our big conversation from last week where we actually got through an entire chapter, chapter 25. And uh, here's a summary of our discussion. The Torah is timeless. Indeed, the word of God is new and fresh every morning. Chapter 25 brings many commandments that simply cannot be done in today's society as literally dictated by Moses. And it highlights the spirit of the Torah that remains on our hearts to this day. Many of the following commandments pertain to fairness, that is, the fair treatment through criminal justice, domestic animals, widows and the potential unborn generations, fair weights and honest business dealings, and justice for Amalek whoever and whatever he is. Moses begins this chapter by acknowledging that there will arise disputes within the community that will require legal action. The Messiah teaches us that we should attempt to avoid bringing the faithful before courts. However, we too, like Moses, acknowledge that it is not always possible to circumvent legal proceedings. We recall that the judiciary in Israel are the priesthood. The judges are religious with knowledge of the scriptures, and it is their responsibility to justify the innocent and punish the guilty. It is an interesting thought that scripture considers some criminals deserving of strict punishment, in this case of a physical beating. Contrast this to today's judicial system, which leans more towards compassion and reduced punishment. Despite our judicial compassion, our societies are not more just, more righteous, nor more safe. Perhaps we should learn the lesson of King Saul and the prophet Samuel in the incident with Agag. Being more merciful than the merciful God, or misplaced mercy, can bring about a future evil, as seen in the descendant Agag, Haman, 
and the story that is played out in the book of Esther. Should the judges find a criminal deserving of punishment involving a beating, the punishment is enacted immediately. It is noted that the Hebrew scriptures do not command the establishment of jails. Incarceration is not a biblical mandate. It develops over time and it is incorporated into the fabric of Jewish society, becoming an eschatological aspiration that prisoners will be freed in the, Mes in the Messianic age. Prisoners do not appear to be a part of God's initial plan. The immediate beating is to be no more than 40 lashes. Rabbinic tradition ascribes 39 lashes to ensure that the punishment does not go beyond 40 by miscount. Paul can confirm this punishment when in 2 Corinthians 11, he admits to having received 39 lashes on five occasions. Switching from crime to ethical farming practices, Moses commands the fair treatment of domestic work animals. In this case, oxen, while it is in service to crush grain. Paul seemingly applies this text completely out of context, where on two occasions, 1 Corinthians 9 and in 1 Timothy 5, he says this text was not talking about animals, yet it clearly is, but rather humans, and you should pay, pay your pastors. This reveals how Jewish commentators and teachers appreciated the spiritual use of the text. It also demonstrates one component of the command to dominate the earth. We may make use of creation, including animals, but we must treat creation carefully and fairly. Moving away from stock farming into marriage of widows, we find Moses instruct the Israelites in the propagation of the family lineage. Seed has always played an important role in the Messianic redemption, where in Genesis 3 we read that the seed of the woman, a genetic impossibility as only males have seeds, will crush the serpent's head. It was important for Israel to retain, remember and build the tribal families that they were born into. God worked his redemptive plan through the family of Abraham and later the house of David. With this background in mind, we understand the ancient Israelite importance of ensuring family bloodlines continuing into the future. Widows without children are to join the households of the deceased brother with the intention of producing children. No mention is made of other wives the living brother may or may not have. Sorry, Sharon. No, uh, verse 5 mentions a widow without a son. Uh, ben. However, the word Ben can also be read as child, and this is how the Septuagint and the Aramaic Targums translate it. Moses has already ruled that women may inherit in the absence of males in the family. That's in Numbers 25 and the daughters of Zelophehad. Should the living brother refuse to take the widow as a wife, no reason is given why he would not do so, then disgrace is brought to his name. Taking off sandals and spitting in the face of the brother-in-law was an obvious and public sign of disgrace. Presumably, the widow is now free to marry outside the family in the tribal line. This also might give us some background into the sandal incident in the story of Ruth. Children were also the support network for families in the ancient world, and this law reveals the fair treatment and welfare given to women who were childless, and subject to a poor future. 
None of this is obviously practiced today, but this does not remove us from the intention of the Torah that delights in the propagation of families, nor the defending of women's rights. Chivalry should not be dead. The propagation of the future through children was so important that Moses then commands a woman's hand to be removed should she strike a man in his private parts, even if she was defending her husband. Rabbinical commentaries all note that this did not actually happen in practice. I'm not quite sure how they got that, but anyway. And instead, a monetary value was assigned to the damages. Punitive punishment was changed for compensatory, compensatory punishment. So thanks for that one, Roddy. Moses then moved into the issue of honest business practice with the instructions not to engage in commercial activity using false weights. Moses has spoken on this subject previously in Leviticus. There, Moses is also concerned not only with just weights, but also just balances. Even the mechanism of transaction needs to be fair. Now, modern society, it may become difficult to use biased weights, but other technologies have become objects of abuse, such as the recent use of voting counting machines that produced errors that seemed anything but random. Unlike the previous commands in this chapter, this one is connected to longevity in the land. Dishonesty in business dealings results in the Lord potentially stirring up enemies that may remove Israel from her territory. Why does this command deserve such a harsh response from God who says he detests false ways? At the core of dishonesty is a lie. God, at his core, is truth. And the enemy, Satan, is known as the father of lies, which is the opposite of God. Should we engage in any of these practices of dishonesty, we submit ourselves not to God the Father, but to our enemy. We become the agents of the evil one and subject to the wrath of God. Do this at your peril. Of the 613 commandments in the Torah, three of them relate to Amalek. Commandment number 598 is to remember what Amalek did following the Exodus. 599 is to destroy Amalek once you have settled in the land. And number 600 is not to forget Amalek. Amalek appears in Exodus 17, where immediately after the Exodus from Egypt, the Amalekites seek to enslave the newly freed Israelites. Deuteronomy 25 adds that they had attacked the weak and the old at the rear of the Israelite camp. Following the battle in which Moses keeps his hand steadfast in faithfulness and the subsequent victory, God declares that he will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Exodus 17 is the first time the word faith appears in the Bible and is also the first time where there is a reference or command to write something. This begs the question, why? Surely God, who destroyed Egypt, Sodom and Gomorrah, and sent the flood, could handle a human tribe, and there would be no necessity to maintain generational conflict. Just wipe them out. Amalek became more than, a simple, than simply an obstacle on the road to Sinai. Amalek came to represent the antithesis of the Lord and his redemptive plan. In Christian speak, Amalek is the Antichrist. 
The rabbis would later say that in every generation there is an Amalek who arises to oppose God. Memory in the Hebrew scriptures is not paired with forgetfulness as God himself remembers. Rather, when one remembers, then one acts, including God. Amalek needs to be opposed. Thus, one of our duties in the kingdom of heaven is to oppose the kingdom of darkness. We should not remain silent at injustice, sin, or evil in the world. Also, as Paul puts it, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Yet there is another side to this, not an external Amalek, but an internal one. Amalek is also within us. The part of us that wants to rebel against God, to not obey his commandments, to fulfill the lusts of the flesh, called by many names, the evil inclination, the original sin, the animal soul. By whatever name it is known, it must be defeated. On our side, we have the Holy Spirit, scriptures, the promises of God, the Messiah and his angels. As the prophet Elisha says, there are more for us than those that are against us. I think that was a reasonably long, <laughs> maybe not as concise commentary, but we had a lot of discussion on that. And so thank you, everybody, who uh, participated in those discussions last week and, um, and in the little email trade that I had during the week. It was, it was great. Okay, so going on to the next chapter, which is um, chapter 26. And I'm reading from an NIV. <clears throat> when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. Uh, you shall go to the, to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land uh, that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there. Few in number, and there became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. He brought us into this place and gave us this land land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, according to all your commandment 
that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was mourning, nor removed any of it while I was unclean, or offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I have done not done according to all you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the ground which you have given us as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with your heart and with your soul. And you have declared today that the Lord is your God. You will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and you will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, as he has promised you, and that you are to keep all his commandments. That he will set you in praise and in fame and in honour, high above all nations that he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. All right. Okay, so based on a the Peshat, based on the literal uh, meaning there, is there anything that jumps out at you? Or if any of you read it uh, ahead of time? Is there a particular verse that you went, oh, my gosh, I haven't seen that before? The thing that struck me from verse 5 onwards is that that's quite a little spiel that people would actually have to go through when they present their uh, first fruits. Yeah. What really happened or whether there's a way of summarizing. Yeah. You know, I, it was, what struck me was, um, I mean, we do, we do obviously Passover every, every year here and, and you say the Haggadah and this is in the Haggadah. And uh, when you come to it, you go, oh, this is where that's from. I wonder why we, we said completely forgot the context of why, why, uh, of where that, that, that phrase comes from. But it's interesting, yeah, from verse 5 on, it's liturgy. Oh, my gosh, for all you guys who detest liturgy, um, sorry, but uh, for all you guys who love it, oh, my gosh, you know, look, it's right there in the Bible. Come up and uh, say this. And, um, and if, you, if you forget, forget it, just, you know, somebody will be standing next to you and help you along to be able to say this, this little spiel. Interesting little spiel to say. I would like to say something about the verse one. Which one? Yep. So this obligation did not take effect until they conquered the land completely, which it took 14 years after they entered the land of Israel. This is the first Yep. Thing. Right. Yeah. You get a command that you don't immediately put into practice. Very, yeah. Interesting. And also verse verse second says, bring it to the place uh, God chose us to establish. So that means to the temple, but there was no temple built at that time. So to the tabernacle. Yep. Yeah, it doesn't actually name. Uh, again, when it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the Bible doesn't name Jerusalem until until much later, uh, or Shiloh, by the way, it doesn't uh, seem to name that. Yeah. And, uh, okay, if anyone has anything to say, I can continue later on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, just, yeah. Just, just take over, Mordecai. We'll just sit back and listen. No, just wait. Um, the one that got me, guys, um, is verse 15. Yeah. Okay. So think of the context. Here we are. Uh, 
one year after King Solomon has constructed the temple. And I've walked into Jerusalem, my little basket, and I've stood there. And what is the uh, part of the liturgy? Where's God looked down from? That from the temple. There you go. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It's very interesting what Moses is doing here. Okay, and um, and uh, and we'll talk about that when we get there. Where does Moses tell us God is looking from? And um, and what does that mean when you're the guy? standing in front of the tabernacle or standing in front of the temple. And everyone's saying, God dwells in his temple. Well, why do I say look down from heaven then? And, uh, and that sort of interesting paradox that, uh, that you find. Okay. All right. Anything else? Any, anybody else want to make a, anybody else have a comment that, that on the literal reading uh, before we dive into it? I think Sharon's breathing a sigh of relief that there's no multiple wives, marriages, slaves, um, or uh, eunuchs. Is that is that about right? <laughs> no, I'm okay. <laughs> Mark, Mark 10 is still the, still the policy. <laughs> Over here in Canada. Over here. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right, so let's let's go a little bit closer into uh, into the text and see how we can apply uh, some of these things in light of. Uh, of the Messiah and the Spirit. So when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you uh, for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, Mordecai's right. That took 14 years, right, the initial um, conquest. There's this, uh, uh, I didn't look it up, but there's a passage, I think it's just towards the end of Joshua, where they finally decide that they've conquered and they agree um, that's it. It's the uh, Brit Shechem, the, the covenant of Shechem, where they decide that they will um, uh, begin to obey all the Torah. And that's what's interesting about that Brit Shechem is it involves no miracles. There's no wonders. There's no signs. It's just the people gathering. The priests come out. Joshua says out and says, hey, hands up who wants to obey the commandments of God. And there's no pressure. There's no... You know, angels standing around dropping Bibles from the sky or anything like that. Um, the people just say, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll do it. And uh, sort of like a little highlight. And then after that, everything sort of uh, goes to pot. But there was a nice moment there where the people uh, acknowledged that they wanted to serve the Lord. So it takes some time. Okay, 14 this years. Is, uh, Brett Shem, this yep. is recorded where? It's in Joshua. Um, can't give you the exact ones, but let me write that down so I can uh, um, uh, give you the reference in the in the in the notes. Okay, that's where um, it's in the book of Joshua. It's uh, where the people of Israel make like a, a the same sort of vows that they did at Mount Sinai, but they do it completely without any miracles. Okay, so it's. This is the uh, last chapter, chapter of Joshua, chapter 24. Chapter 24. Thanks, buddy. So Joshua 24. Okay. They also did it with uh, on Gerizim yep. um, and Eval. Mm-hmm. But that was, that was ordered by Moshe, right? Correct. Yeah, they do the shouting. Um, in fact, we've got the blessings and curses next, um, next chapter. But, yeah. Yep. Okay, uh, so they take possession of it. Now we've got, got the, um, the land, 
and it doesn't say um, how much land. Okay, because you know when you start trying to draw maps of um, where Israel is supposed to be, uh, it keeps keeps uh, keeps changing. Okay, um, but they come in, they settle, they possess it, and then you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, uh, which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put it into a basket. Okay. And you'll go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. All right. So um, why only the fruit of the earth? What are we talking about here? Any ideas? It's well, a, the fruit of the, uh, the grain, the wheat and the barley, that sort of thing. Yep. Mordecai, um, when doing first fruits, which of the first fruits do you bring, according to the tradition? You bring wheat, barley, grapes, figs, pomegranates, olives and dates. Okay, that's the seven species, yeah? Yeah, that's the same species they, they, they yeah. have to bring. Yeah. And so, they perform but, this, this ceremony once a year in a seven-year circle. But the seventh year is the called year of release, Shemitah. So they didn't bring on the seventh year, but besides the seventh year, they, they keep bringing every year, once a year. But it doesn't say how much, so it's up to them. Okay. And they did it, so they did it once a year? Once a year in a seven-year circle. Okay. But the, on the seventh year, they don't harvest. They, uh, you know, it's called the Shemitah released. Uh, I don't yeah, have to describe yeah. it in English. They don't harvest. They leave the land as it is. It's like a Shabbat of the land, yep. but six years they bring, seven years they don't bring, and then they keep bringing again. Okay. Yeah, I always yeah, find that interesting. So we have um, a harvest festival. No, there, there is a feast of first fruits, which is attached to Shavuot, okay? However, this is not that. Yeah. This, this, this is this, between Shavuot and Scott. Yeah. Because... because it's called, yeah, Chag Chag Bichurim. It's not a Chag. I mean, it's called Chag. It's not a holiday, but it's a happy day. Right, yeah. And in the Christian tradition, we have a thing called Harvest Thanksgiving, where we sort of kind of do the same thing. Oh, yeah. However, during the year, you have multiple harvests. Yeah. Right? So, like, your first wheat does not ripen at the same time as your first yeah. barley. You're keeping your first in a good grapes. place. Yeah. Right. So this tradition was kind of done all the time. Okay, you ended up formalizing it with what you call the Chag, uh, chag Bikurim, um, yeah, from, the, from Bocher, the firstborn, the first chosen, um, but, uh, which becomes a more institutional model. And it doesn't say the seven species, but that becomes the tradition. Yeah. Okay? And it, you know, it, it, it's devoid of uh, animal life or this kind of stuff. But later on, we will, we will change it even to something else. We'll take another spiritual jump and we'll say, well, it, it kind of reflects just to, to everything that you do. But we'll see how we get there. Yeah. All right, so Aaron. Sir. He says, when you take possession of the land, and so they decide after 14 years, we have possession. So at that point, they do this giving of the first fruits or as they take possession of certain portions of the uh, land, 
Do they take the first fruits? And is that something we should do continuously to this day? If we now take possession of land, which is Israel's, um, whether it be in what is called the West Bank, which I don't yeah. like the term, but wherever you want to call it, um, should we do this pursuant to uh, that taking back possession of the land that was taken from or not, we, that we never took possession of? Right. Well, I think I think what, what we discovered in the, in the, like we were discussing in, in the last chapter, a lot of these rules can't be done literally as written because some of the rules are so either A, unclear, or B, very loosely defined. Like, for example, you shall take the first of the fruit of the ground, all right? What's the next? What's, what's the obvious question? You shall take the first of the fruits of the ground. Which fruit? Okay, so which fruit? We, we, we come to the conclusion, even though it doesn't say, it's the seven species. All right, okay, let's, let's just go with that. All right? All right. And you'll put it in a basket. What's the next How big much? question? Sorry? How much? Yeah. How big's the basket? How big's the basket? Yeah. How much is actually the first fruits? Are you been saying like the very first grape? I like take the one grape and go, this is the first guy. This one belongs to the God. The rest of the stuff, well, that's mine. Okay. I'm giving this one to the widows and the orphans. I hope they're going to be, you know, be happy with this. Um, or, okay with it. <laughs> or do you go a little bit more generous? And so what happens is you can see how the, from, you take the spirit of the Torah and you begin to go, you go beyond the letter of the law. You have to. Yeah. And uh, because it's unclear, but it does have a principle. Who are we going to take care of? Who are we acknowledging when we do this? Uh, why are we doing this? Where are we doing this? And for what purpose? And so, um, Can I answer his question briefly? About yeah, go ahead. This? Uh, it doesn't apply today uh, for two reasons. Because first of all, we don't have the temple. And second, we don't have all this land of Israel as it was. It should include some part of Jordan, some part of Lebanon. I'm not trying to be a Zionist here, but we don't have the biblical land. So it doesn't apply today. But some people in Israel, I mean, most of the people do that as it is, but it's not obligated. Yeah. So right, when, when, when does the Bible does it? Who do you give the, the food to? The temple, it doesn't say the temple here. It says the place that the Lord shall put his name or whatever. Yeah. It was the tabernacle and then the temple. Okay. So we don't have both of them now. Right. And it's interesting that, yeah, we don't have both of them. Um, but it's interesting that God says that the Lord, God will choose a place, but he doesn't seem to tell you where that is. And it's, it's where he will make his name. Exactly. Well, it's a very interesting phraseology. And we'll pick that up, I think, when Moses does that link, look down from heaven. And you go, oh, that's interesting. Okay. So wherever God's going to put his name to dwell, uh, it's going to be a place that he's going to choose. So there's a little bit of chosenness in there. And we know the names of two of those places. And we know the names of a heck of a lot more in a more spiritual way. Okay. And you shall go to the priest who was in the office at the time and say to him, and then you got to make this sort of oath. Okay. You don't know how big your basket is and you don't know how much it is, but there's a principle behind all this. I declare today to the Lord, your God, that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. 
Okay, there's a, a little, um, there's a few I's, there's a few uh, owls and a few we's and things that the, the possessed personal uh, pronoun changes. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand, set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. So, unlike the Feast of First Fruits, which is the one in Shvot, where you actually burn the grain, this one you do not. What do you do to it? Anyone know? You give it away. Okay, this one is not burnt up as a. It's a. It's not. It's a. It's put on the altar, but it's not consumed. It's uh, uh, and and for those of us who who come from traditional churches, if you guys can remember, uh, Harvest Thanksgiving. What did we all do? Um, we decorated the altar full of tins of food and fruit and uh, all and kinds of share. stuff. And we share. Yeah. yeah. And we, we packed it all off. We sent it to the um, soup kitchens and the, the drop-in centers and, and all that all that kind of stuff. Um, and that same yeah. principle is done to this day. Um, it not it, uh, Mordecai? They, they take it and they give it to the widows and the orphans. On the third year. I mean, between On the, the third year. Oh, third yeah. yeah. Yeah, the third year. The, the, after verse 12, you get to this uh, thing about... Well, they don't the, give the actual fruit, of course. They sell it and they give the... The money. Yeah, the money. Yeah. Yeah. They donate to yeah. organizations or to the rabbis. Sometimes. And most of the time they give to a religious organization or yeshua. So Shimshon, is the, the sort of harvest uh, Thanksgiving idea or the Feast of First Fruits done in Nigeria too? With you guys down there? Yes, uh, it's, it's done um, in a very elaborate way. People bring fruits, um, real fruits, like from, and also produce from the farms and um, some people try to even bring um, animals, you know, you know, to okay. to give us an offering to to the altar. You know, okay. it's, uh, it's it's always a big ceremony when when it's done here. Yeah. yeah. Then I have a question. Um, when you spoke about um, the um, Omer Rashid and the Hapukurim, you said the 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 Omer Rashid does the first fruits. You know, in the in the, if you go to Leviticus, and um, it, it talks about uh, the Omer Rashid, and it yep. talks about the Abukurim also. Is it those ones you say that is being offered as an Ola? Yeah, there's one, there's one that's set on fire and burnt. But there's, ah. and, and, right? and then there's this one, which is not. So it, 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 okay. it, we, we sometimes, because um, when I looked at this, I thought, oh, this is just uh, uh, the, the Feast of First Fruits. Then you have a closer look and you go, actually, no, it's not. It's something else. Mm. It's, um, it's involving yeah. tithing. This is all, eventually it's going to get to tithing and, uh, and caring mm. for certain groups of people, which is, I guess, you. Aaron? Yes, sir. Doesn't this take us back to, uh, to chapter 14 and uh, starting, I think, at verse 22? It is here you take a tenth of everything your seed produces in the field and eat it in the presence. And then also, it's the second tithe. You're to take a tenth of it, and if a tenth is too much, you sell it, and yeah. you take the money to Jerusalem to support yeah. the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You know that story. This is a different. This is that tithe in uh, chapter fourteen is a different, even different tithe to this one. There's multiple tithes. <laughs> Um, you know, when you when you start counting, you suddenly realize, oh my gosh, there's, a, there's actually quite a lot. <laughs> um, 
And yeah. uh, uh, it's, it's not just a simple, well, 10% goes to God and that's pretty much it. Um, it was a little bit more, more diff different. This is um, offerings of first fruits and tithes, and, um, which is, again, because it's, it's, it's very blank. It doesn't tell you how much to give, and uh, it doesn't actually tell you when, uh, but it does tell you the liturgy that goes with it, which is very interesting. Okay. And it actually tells when it in the oral Torah, not here. Right. Which is between and Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Not here. Yeah. So there were multiple, like a, a window of time to come in and do this, right? Yeah. 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 In, today's, in today's Israel, particularly with Chabad, because, you know, Mordecai is a, a, a ex Chabadnik. Um, uh, Once a Chabad nigga, always a Chabad nigga. Uh, there you go. You'll always be a Chabad. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Chabad nick, nude nick, and all the other nicks that are in there as well. Um, uh, does does Chabad gather the feast of the these these first fruits in the in that window of time too? Till this day, there are uh, many for farmers who who like to sport Chabad. Okay. So especially in the north. They do, they call us, I mean, they call Chabad or the rabbi, and they say, all right, I just uh, harvest that much, and I made that much money from my fruits, and I would like to give the 10% of it, the tithe. Uh -huh. Okay, they so they, they the do the tithe bit, yeah. yeah. Um, but sometimes they give tithe. a fruit too, uh, they are nice, yeah. you know, some nice grapes, sometimes wine, but not as a tithing, because okay. Chabad has no place to store them, right? Yeah. So okay. So eventually it becomes a, a tithe, as we as we're seeing in the modern practice. But however, you bring this offering, which is not uh, doesn't tell you how much, but then it does tell you the um, the place where you're going to do it and the liturgy you're going to say, and then you shall make this response before the Lord your God, and then it begins this sort of quote. Uh, which, which has now ended up in the Passover Haggadah, okay? And it seems a very ancient way of, of saying, yeah. a wandering Aramean was my father. I mean, think about what you're doing. You're worshipping the Lord, and they're linking worship with your offering, which is of undisclosed amount, so it's definitely free will, other than the fact that you have to do it. So <laughs> there's that interesting paradox, Um you must give how much something, uh, you know, um, but then uh, you, you, as part of your worship, you engage in the recitation of sacred history, yeah. okay? which is um, something that some of our communities don't do, some do, um, and some don't. Uh, this, this idea that sacred history has some sort of value to the worshipper, to the community, uh, to to national memory and therefore by extension to the future. So a wandering Aramean was my father. He went down into Egypt. He sojourned there. Okay, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. Okay, um, so that's an interesting thing to do. So in this liturgy, what don't we say? We don't say the name of Abraham. Okay. When we have a Haggadah, whose name don't we mention in the Passover? Moses. You go through the Haggadah, Moses is not mentioned. Okay. 
um, say this, stand up and s recite your uh, sacred history. Don't mention Abraham, Avinu, our father Abraham. He's just a wandering Aramean and uh, a sojourner like all of us. And he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly. And uh, so you start off as, uh, as an individual, my father, and then quickly leap to it's us. And we are uh, being mistreated by Egyptians, humiliated, made to do hard labor. And then we cried to the Lord, uh, the, to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. What does that discount there? It discounts 400 years. Okay. So, you know, um, it's as though, you know, the Egyptians started hitting us with a whip and I cried out to the Lord. And you know what happened next week? Next week, I got redeemed. It was awesome. Um, it doesn't actually <laughs> often work that way. Sometimes suffering goes on for generations and we just don't understand why. However, it does teach us something about uh, time, God's timing, and our patience to endure. And we cried to the Lord our God. Sorry? Um, yeah. I was just going to say, uh, some, there are some uh, that say that, the, that Laban was the... Uh, yeah, I was about to say that, actually. Yeah, yeah. and that he tried to, you know, uh, you know the, the attempts to harm Jacob. So I know yeah. that there are some... Some about that, or or that, uh, or it could be again with with the, the servant trying to not have Rachel come back to Isaac. I know there's some other uh, interpretations of that, and I was just wondering. Yes, sure. it is actually referring to Jacob because he lived in Aram for twenty years, okay. and he, was, he ran away from Laban. Mm -hmm. And here we are just referring uh, Yaakov, also Avram, of course, forefathers, Ms. Avram, uh, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. So. Aaron is also right about it. So all the way goes to Avram because Avram also didn't uh, trade it good by the Arameans. They never liked us. <laughs> but so this is referring to him. Yeah, yes, the whole you're right, it's Jacob. Situation in Haram, in Haram, right? So yeah, but it's true. Mm -hmm. So it's a uh, 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 it, it misses the actual text here misses Laban, but Laban's in the Haggadah, isn't he? Isn't he? So we said Mordecai. I don't think so. Is it no? No. Okay, but it is. But it is a, a. You do have to remember somewhere on the line that Laban and his attempts yeah. to kill us. Um, but in this case, it it uh, lists Egyptians as those who who did it. Okay. Um, the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. Okay. Um, so God hears when we cry. Yeah, that's nice. Is that the only time that he hears? Nope. But often we only cry to God when things are going bad, which is right. So I guess the first part of the chapter is talk to God when things are going good, right? You've conquered the land. Awesome. You have fruit. Fantastic. You've been blessed. So what should you do? You should go and talk to God. And as part of that, re-remember re sacred history where in the past we talked to God when things were going bad. 
And, um, and what did God do? Well, God listens. He listens right now. And he listened when we were not doing so well. And, um, and he brought us out with deeds of terror as well as signs and wonders. So what does that teach us about some of God's redemption? Anything? What does this teach us about God and his great acts of wonder and, and miracles? They can also be terrifying. You know, they, we think, you know, sometimes we have an image where God is just, you know, a fluffy, wonderful guy with a big beard and he just loves to do party tricks. But the, uh, the image of the God of heaven is that when he's ready to roll his, his arms up, and start putting on the ritz, then um, it can be terrifying. Obviously, particularly for enemies, but but potentially um, uh, for us too. Yeah, I mean, we remember the uh, Mount Sinai, and God turns up, and everyone's absolutely terrified. <laughs> That's right. Yes, they're so terrified. They say, "Listen, we can't handle this voice, Moses. You go talk." I mean, seriously, dude. You know, isn't that amazing? It's like. You've just been redeemed. You've seen the most amazing things. Okay, it was about 40 days ago, but come on, your memories aren't that bad. Um, and, you know, you're now at, 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 the, at Mount Sinai. Here's a chance to go and meet God, and he's just too terrifying. Um, this brings up all types of questions. Uh, should we tie today um, or the rules? And there's always an exception to every rule, even in the Bible. God God says emphatically, you shall not test the Lord your God, except when? In Malachi, test him about tithing. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. we follow his instructions, then, then good things will, will come about that. I, that one sticks out heavily in my mind. For the people, yeah. so maybe never you can tell people who don't understand what we're talking about. So in Malachi, I don't know which verse it. I don't know if it's chapter two or five. Uh, Malachi three ten, isn't it? Is that it? Malachi, yeah. Malachi, yeah. yeah. It, is, it is, yes. Malachi three, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. It's the only time where I actually, yeah, put God to the test. Yeah. Um, it, and Jesus clearly reinstated tithing in the New Testament there when he was talking about coming, like you do the former. You ought to do the right. former and not forget the latter. There, you know, the verse in. Um, I'm just yeah, looking yeah. it up. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm going to write that down. What is it, Sharon? Does anyone know? No, no one's that, yeah, that's probably Matthew 23 when he's going laying into the scribes and Pharisees. Right, Matthew 23. At a guess. <laughs> yeah. oh, and, okay, at a guess. All right. Okay, but there's also tithing. Because yeah. for the, uh, the, the, the majority of the Christian world, it says, well, we have the New Testament. Let's just pay attention to what it says, unless they go back to the Tanakh, what they refer to as the Old Testament. They got a problem with convincing their audiences and their clientele to give. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so okay. They have a conundrum there. <laughs> I believe they do. Okay. Any um, other comments from anybody there? The, the, the tithes is Matthew 23 23. Okay. What does it say? It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Yeah. Blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Actually, that's my favorite phrase when people are <laughs> taking the Bible literally. <laughs> so, yeah, and I literally believe they swallowed camels. Well, that would be really interesting to see, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. a big, you know, neck with a big shape of a camel stuck in it. <laughs> yeah, but lots of passages. Lots of passages are literal, but some are, are figurative. Yeah. No, no, this is superbly hyperbolic, and I just love yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and, what we, and what we were reading last week is, you know, the, that, that idea of the, the mercy and justice and fairness that's inherent in God's word. You know, as he speaks out his commands, they're just loaded with fairness, justice, mercy, mm-hmm. love, goodness, um, and if we get too too concerned about the literal, although you do that too, um, we, we can't forget the, the intention side. Mm. And, and uh, you know, the other one, the other passage which I really like is in Luke chapter 7, or excuse yeah. me, 6, and how it says, you know, uh, give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be put in your lap for the measure. It's the midah, connected midah. It's the measure yeah. for measure. And it's just, and it and once again, it says, "Give, and uh, it shall be given." So it's it's that that command. principle it's the of the exegesis of the midah connected midah. It's just uh, mm-hmm. very explicit in in Luke. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Mordecai in the Chabad community, the average businessman who doesn't own land in order, does he tithe? Is he encouraged to tithe? He has to tithe because oh, he, he has to. Yeah, I also would like to answer Rodi's question. I also had the same question when I was in the yeshiva because my father is not a farmer. Uh, so it's this old parasha, the chapter, is symbolizing the tithing because the first fruit at that time was the most important thing. There was no money, there was no Mercedes, there was no dollars, pounds. The fruits and donkeys uh, were the most important things. So God asked them to bring... Uh, the first fruits in order to show their uh, thankfulness, uh, you know, thanking God. And this is obligated to today as tidings. Uh, we don't have land, of course, but uh, some of us might have. But uh, it's, like a, it's like a partnership between uh, God and us. You know, let's say you have a partner uh, who is a partner of 10%. And you own the ninety percent, and you do all work, right? So you go to the piggy show, the meetings, you work hard, but at the end of the month, you still has have to pay that guy his ten percent. And uh, what God has done for us, well, in John uh, chapter three twenty seven, he says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Right. So that means basically oh, which everything. Are? John. Uh, John 3, chap- uh, chapter 3, verse 27. Okay. So it basically means everything that we have now is from God, and we got to do something. And, uh, of course, God doesn't need money. Uh, all uh, commandments in the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is uh, for us in order to make world a better place, the rich, 
you know, helps mm-hmm. the poor and you don't have to be very rich. Even uh, $1 works. So you just show God that he has given us all good things we have. Yeah. And we are thanking him. We are showing him uh, that the money is not the, the important thing in our lives. I actually received an email f- from my rabbi. I'd like to read briefly, if it's okay. It says, uh, you show God that you will follow him. Even when it be difficult, you show him that you will rely on him rather than trusting in money or material things. Hmm. Because of your faithfulness, Heavenly Father promises us blessings that are far greater than anything we give. Yeah. 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 And I guess that harkens back to that. I mean, not that it's on the tip of my tongue, but the the Malachi 3 passage where God says, you put me to the test in this, right? And also the title. Try and outgive me, I dare you. You just can't. And uh, in that very pasuk, it actually says how much it is. It's the tight, so 10% of your income. All right. I got one more question. Go for it, Roddy. As as Mochi was mentioning, the the important things were the farming and the animals, donkeys in particular. And and there's something about the, uh, the firstborn of the donkey that you are to dedicate it or break its neck. Or no, you're supposed to give your firstborn. If you don't, you can substitute it with a donkey with a broken neck. What am I thinking of there? Help me out. Uh, we we did read it. Uh, that yeah, is a, that is a command. Yeah, it was about the firstborn and the and what belongs to God and uh, the redemption of the firstborn. And for those that don't want to redeem, they could substitute with a um, with an animal and a broken neck, which is a very interesting way of of doing uh, that action. And then the, the other thing is, uh, you know, when they left Egypt with all of the treasures that they had uh, got yeah. into them, they gave so much and so much and they gave voluntarily. And it was a matter of the heart that, you know, God's <laughs> enough, you know, he said, Yavash, Mochi, calm down, right? He said, Yavash, Yavash, no more. That's it. That's good. So it's, it's, it's voluntarily from the heart. And the principle applies that like the more you give, the more you receive. So God always blesses, right? So it's actually, you can't outgive God. And in my personal experience too, like the more you give, the more blessing you receive, even in a practical sense, whether it's money or other things. And, you know, you give and then you receive back. And just a lifestyle of generosity and giving marks a Christian life or the, you know, the believer's life, right? Yeah, um, we, we can, oh yeah, go ahead, sorry. Yes, no, Sharon, you're correct. Hallelujah. Yes, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the temperance is we can't let that push into prosperity gospel where people use the, the phrase, if you give, you know, $100, God will give you 1000 or something. like, well, well no. Um, you can't but, but it just God. seems to be the principle of God that, you know, test me in this and see if, I'll, if I right. will or open but, the But temperate with the other passages, which also say that, you suffer that produces perseverance and character, not yeah. Yeah, not having the so, big screen. So Job was the richest man at the time, and then he loses 10 kids in one shot or donkeys yeah. or sheep. Right, yes, there's, there's a lot of stories like that. Look where, back and forth. <laughs> um, that's right, yeah, where the heroes in the Bible, uh, the initial part of their story or some part of their story doesn't need to be going so well. Abraham um, was loaded too. Yeah, a lot of God's heroes were wealthy. God is not against wealth. That is definitely not what I'm saying. God is all for generosity. 
as we've been seeing in the text. You take well, care he commands of it. Like Yvonne is saying, he commands it, right? Give, yep. and it shall be given to you. Press Correct. down. And, he's and, he's, and, and this, yeah. this section here is a command to be generous. It doesn't tell you initially how much, just a basket. Later on, we get into a tithe, and it has a deliberate target audience, which also reflects the generosity uh, of God. Um, yeah, and, and uh, the idea but, also, you know, giving voluntarily and out of the heart. And yeah, I, I, the idea of like sharing the whole prosperity gospel, which is you people give. Oh, I don't, I don't believe that. No, I know, no, I'm just saying don't that. don't do it for the purpose. Uh, of right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. And, and the measure that's given and, yeah. and the measure that's given back is in, in his, you know, we, in his, just in his compassion and, and his love for us and, 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 and receiving from him just peace and, 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 uh, and even during difficult times, just having his, his presence with us. is just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, but it's amazing. Like the Egyptians, you're giving out of the, the love and, and it's so difficult. I know we have some friends that say, Oh, you know, we don't, it's not in the new Testament. And so it's a big, that's it's crazy. A big, where yeah. do they get that? It's not <laughs> exactly. It's just because yeah. you understand the biblical narrative. It's one full story from the beginning, from yeah. Bereshit and whatever Genesis all the way to the end. It will, it will play itself out and it'll make sense. But many people are hyper grace to stick to this, you know, the Brit Hadashah, unfortunately, and, and have a bad reading on that. So, um, yeah. also, would like to add something if it's okay. Yeah. Um, well, here's a question rises like, where should I give my tithing? A uh, couple of years ago, a businessman asked me in Manhattan, he told me, why do I have to give to Yeshiva, a religious seminary? I could give to poor. So yes, there are many types of tithing. You can give to the poor directly, but if you give to a religious institute or a priest or a rabbi or whatever you call it, uh, you are becoming God's partner. And also that money helps the world become a better place because they are evangelizing the world, right? They are helping, they are teaching everywhere in Nigeria, in China, Aaron told me like in Hong Kong, everywhere. So they are wor working uh, in his work, actually. So you can either give to poor charity or a religious institution that you trust. And unfortunately, there are many people in the U.S. like uh, tele, how do they call it, tele-evangelists? Yeah, uh, they go to the telev television and they say like, "Oh, I got to buy this three hundred million dollars uh, private jet. Uh, you have to donate." And unfortunately, people do donate them. How how can you know? Well, you can uh, choose. Uh, you can see what they are doing. You know, uh, you can give to rabbi or priest or deacon that you trust and you see their work. Yeah. Unfortunately, there is no way to know them. You can pray before you give. And then you can follow up. Mm. I, I really advise you to do that, you know, because uh, it's your money. And you, 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 when you invest in a stock, for example, you want to see it's going well. So you follow it up. Don't give to someone uh, who wants to buy $300 million private jet because it's not helping God's work. That's, what, that's my personal opinion. <laughs> yeah. Aaron, yeah. Can, I, can I add a thought about the Malachi yeah. passage? Yeah, um, please. It, this is from Malachi chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. So I'll just read them. He says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. 
bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test says the lord of hosts if i will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need mm-hmm. notice this is specifically the the generosity of the community mm. you can't necessarily say oh well that the nation's going to work like that therefore it'll work for me personally i think there's a principle here when you have a whole community that is turned outwards and is generous there's something in the moral universe that means that it's going to go well for them okay thank you i'm madly and and also and also to just to contribute to that um when we look about tithing in especially in the british ashar there is not so much um, teaching apart from references so it's kind of um um credits what tithing is but in the new testament um tithing is more than just your 10% tithing goes beyond that tithing goes to um you allowing god to determine everything that you do right. for instance Which you have your yeah. Which verse Shimshon says that not not some um specific verse but in um in the nuances of most of the verses in the scripture Well, I will try and look for one for you, but it kind of gives us the room to discuss with God. God owns everything, and it determines how you spend it. It's not about your tithe anymore, because people think, okay, once I give the tithe to God, then the others, I can do whatever I want to do with it. No. In the British Dachau, the spirit behind the law of tithing kind of determines what you do with everything. What you do with everything. So, and if, you, um, if people don't practice tithing, the 10% then it becomes so difficult for them to practice the british ashar because in british ashar it has to do with your timing with god it has to do with your relationship with god it has to do with a lot of things and so it's um it's the the the, the principle of the 10% is a starting point but when you move up you find that you you can even do much more and yeah. the and especially when you are moving with the rock and the rock is teaching you how you spend the money then you find out that it's just beyond the 10% which we speak about in the um in the old testament yes uh, that's right you go like what we've been done before you go beyond the letter of the law to the spirit of the law and you see what the what the what god is teaching us uh here okay so going to what shimshon is saying is that regardless of whether we work for it or not it's all his to begin with correct and that's what same thing mordecai said from john 3 right it all belongs to him it's all his to begin with regardless of where or how we got it or what we supposed we did for it right no yes. they're right i'm just backing them up uh, yeah that's right okay so 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 moving on from verse 9 okay where the last thing we had done was um god's signs and wonders can also involve terror they're not always the fluffy um happy little miracle uh where god does a little bit of magic for us to delight us uh god is god and very powerful and he brought us into this place to give us this land a land flowing with milk and honey And behold, this is all part of this liturgy. This is all part of this um uh piece of sacred history which the guy is reciting as he's giving his first fruits. And behold, uh now I bring uh bring it down before the Lord your God 
and worship before the Lord your God. And uh, you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given you into your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. So that last little section in verse 11, we are talking about a land festival and who's included in the worship. Sojourner. Yeah, the person who doesn't have any land. <laughs> and who else doesn't have any land? Levi. Levi. Yeah, isn't it interesting? We've got a land-based festival, and God immediately says, look, you guys who have land, who have produce, fantastic, but make sure you also include everybody else who had not got no land. And Because uh, I happen to like them just as much. And I happen to love them just as much. And they're going to get blessed just as much through you. And, uh, and how many times has Moses, in the last couple of chapters, constantly said, the foreigner, the stranger, the widow, the orphan, all the, the weak one, or the, uh, and here are the people who are the non-landed uh, gentry, the, the non-landed people. Okay. Um, it's it's, it's uh, here referring uh, in Hebrew, it says hager, that means yep. the convert among you. So he still has to bring the fruit, but he does not receive the blessing about Lebanon and Jacob because he's not uh, a descendant of Jacob. He's okay. still a Jew, but not a, you know, Bene Israel. Yeah. That, that, the, the, that's yeah. right. The, the word there is ger, and in some uh, exegesis, like the one that uh, you're going with, it refers to the guy who did giur, okay? Yeah, uh, giur. Yeah, which is from the same root which is uh, to convert. Exactly and so some, some translations run along with the convert. Some translations go along with the other meaning of the name, which is the stranger, the sojourner, okay? The guy who was uh, not, not Jewish. So you have two parallel uh, ways to interpret that, that, that word, okay? So ger, giur, lehit gayer, to convert. So some, some translations will say this is a convert, and some translations will go the other way. Uh, meaning of a word so everyone um, has to bring <laughs> yeah everybody got to bring that's right including the guy who hasn't got land right he gets included in the land in the land including festival. the guy who accidentally passing through <laughs> yeah all right all right and you shall rejoice in all the good so how do you rejoice again it doesn't say there's a lot of blank there so drink of wine that's that's i like you you can stay that's a nice way of um particularly as a as a nice covid test smell the wine if you can smell the wine you have not got the disease you should taste the wine you can still have the sense of taste you have not got the disease. this is a great test you should do this do this daily and repeatedly okay? um yeah it doesn't say could it be with some songs yes could be um there's a Mishnah, I can't remember which one, but it describes this festival. It describes that the guy comes up to the temple, he's got his little basket, and people uh, off to the side start singing worship songs as he walks towards the altar. And as he puts his thing down, then they stop singing and they join in with him reciting, just in case he forgets. So he's got people to prompt him along the way. And then once he's done, they start the singing and dancing again. And the next guy walks down the list and uh, um, 
and, and does uh, stuff. So because they, they feel for the obligation, yep. they rejoice. They say, oh, I'm yeah. happy, Baruch Hashem. Yeah, happy. So, it doesn't exactly say, say how, but we've got lots of room uh, to figure out how to do it. All right. So, when you have finished, this is now verse 12, when you have finished paying all the tithe, the now we're into the tithe of the third year, one of those things, okay, paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, where that's that special year that gets gets given. Uh, and it is given to the Levites, okay, the sojourner, the ger, right, um, which is exactly what that means, the fatherless and the widow. So here it probably does refer to the landless one because we're also in the same boat as a Levite who's landless and uh, the fatherless, okay, the widow, and, uh, the, and the, or the orphan, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. So there's this uh, one of the spiritual principles of our giving um, is, as, as uh, uh, Mordecai was alluding, you can give it to the church, you can give it to your religious institution, you can give it to your mission society. Um, that's one way. But another, another way of, of giving is also to seek and look uh, for the, the, the weakest amongst our community. We all got them. And as Shimshon said, the spirit will lead you to do that. You'll, he'll bring people in your way and you'll know who they are. And uh, that, 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 that prompt to assist, which comes from heaven, is, uh, is, is a delight to the Lord. But here you have this um, special tithing which you give to the poor. Um, and that's still done in Israel today, isn't it? Uh, Mordecai, every third, fourth, eighth? Uh, yeah, between the third and fourth, uh, right in the middle. Yep. They calculated and they give to a charity organization, especially dedicated to orphans and widows. Yeah, there are some organizations that you 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 know probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so do they? Are they the guys that come to the front door sometimes to ask for money? For, they, they keep coming. They keep coming. Oh, they keep coming. Yeah. You know, if you give them one thing, they they they're back the next week. It's incredible. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when then verse thirteen, then you shall say before the Lord your God. I have removed the sacred portion out of my house. Now, why would you say that? Which one? Because you're setting aside God's first, right? Yes. So uh, you, you take the, 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 whatever the first fruits is or the tithe or however it's been done, and you set it aside. You actually store it, which what does that give uh, set up? It's it shows up. where your heart is at, right? It shows Does. where your heart is at and that you always stay in the place where you recognize that God owns everything, my children, my life, my home, my luxuries, and it's all God's. Okay, yes. So it's in the home. That's, um, you know, where your family is and, your, and all that kind of stuff. But what else does it pre uh, present? What's the other side of the coin? Well, well, you have to pay was, the Levite, don't you? Sorry? You have to pay the Levite too, eh? Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. Like the Galatians 6, 6 verse would be the equivalent. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Yes. That's, you know, getting uh, back to what you were saying previously about yeah, where pay, you... Pay, pay your passes. Yeah, yeah, take care of the, the guy. Okay. 
Um, but the wording of it bothers me for some reason. Why? Yeah. I have rid my home of a duty that I should have from the heart to begin with. That is something about the wording. I don't. Okay. Well, what are, what are some other translations for that? What's the Hebrew say? Mordecai? It says, I have burned I burned out. Yes, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, REA. Good to see you, mate. What did he say? It says. Okay. Yeah, a burn. It's, it's, it's like I've. Something to do with fire. Like isn't what it? you do with chametz. Chametz. Yeah. What an interesting thing to say. How? What an interesting phrase. It can't literally mean they set it on fire, does it? <laughs> no, because they got to give it to the uh, Levi, the sojourner in the wilderness. Okay. Um, one, you you stored it, you kept it, and then. So what was all of that time? What's the other side of the coin to your generosity and your love and your care for people? Well, God's continual provision, right? Okay. The like other side, the negative side. Give, the, the, give me the negative oh. side of this, because oh. it actually comes up in this um, in this prayer. Temptation, right? If well, I've been store, storing this big bunch of grapes, what am I tempted to do every day uh, until I until I give it to them? Give into it. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, verse fourteen. I have not eaten of. I have not eaten from it. It's like, yeah, it's like Mm -hmm. I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to declare, "Look, here is this, and I have not eaten any of it," Um, because there's probably a a truth. Actually, I did, you know, and I even ate some on the way here. Really sorry. And um, and you can see this played out in the New Testament. What's the experience in the New Testament where someone does not give? everything that they said that they would, that they had not fulfilled their vow. And it ended in a very strict. And then and then Sapphira. Sapphira. Yeah. If you lie about it, you know, then you're, yeah, you're dead. Right. Meat. So there's, there's, a, there's an element here where God also would like you to be honest with yourself <laughs> before him and who you're going to give. And uh, so you can't sort of have this puffed up pride. Oh, look at me. You know, I, I donate to the, to the, to the, the widows and, and, and charity orphan. And, and, and God's like, good. Yeah. Uh, so do I, by the way. You know, um, it, we have to be very careful. So here you take out your um, portion and you give to the people. The landless, the, the, the Levites, the fatherless, the widows, as we have seen. Our communities need to care for the weakest members of our society. This is a, a clear reflection of the character of God. And um, uh, so we have to be very careful when, um, if we start building churches where the only people we have in them are rich people. Oh, be careful of those kinds of places. Okay? Um, God has a concern for all people. That's not against wealth. In fact, if you are wealthy, that is a blessing. That is something that the Lord has given you. And then you just need to keep that spirit of generosity. So you have part of your part of your liturgical uh, speech is, um, I haven't forgotten your commandments. I have not transgressed any of your commandments. Well, that's definitely a lie. But you're going to say it anyway, okay? Um, uh, nor have I forgotten them. 
Okay, boy, you're the best memory ever. It's interesting that we say these things, okay, um, when really they're most likely not true. Um, I have not eaten of the tithe while I was mourning. Okay, you know, you know that sort of um, comfort food idea. Uh, you know, where I was staying inside the house, sitting sheva, and then just got a tack of the munchies and hoed into my first fruits, uh, or removed any of it while I was unclean. Okay, not 100% sure uh, what that means. Um, or offered any of it to the dead. I mean, oh, my gosh, you got this interesting practice. Um, unfortunately, Israel suffered a lot of syncretism, as we know, that uh, when they went into the land, they um, very quickly embraced syncretism and the, and the, and the gods uh, that were in the land. And what's interesting in, in the Bible, God is called in the Torah God. And then as soon as you get into the book of Judges, he's the great God, uh, as opposed to just God. So he begins to get a, a, a phrase as opposed to he's the great God, and these are these other gods that I have as well. But I got the great God um, and I, too much syncretism. But here, we're not supposed to have any of that. So there's this idea of no, uh, what's given to God is pure and it is not uh, offered to the dead because God is life. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. So where did this guy hear the voice of God? Ruh HaKodesh. Yeah, okay, one way, Ruach HaKodesh. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, all right. What, what, um, what they received from Moshe uh, yeah. was taken as what they received from God. Correct. Yeah, so here the phrase is, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord, it's Moshe's voice, okay, God's voice. But again, yeah, Moti, you're right. In the New Testament, Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaks too. But here we're referring to um, uh, Moshe. And, and Aaron, a good verse in, in the New Testament that's the parallel, I guess you'd call it, is 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Yeah. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, colon, yes. do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So I think it was a regular practice that practice. weekly brought yeah. a collection of financial, you know, Yep. So what was that? 1 Corinthians 16? 16, 1 and 2. Okay, one then and when two. I arrive, I will give letters of introduction, da, 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 da. But it's just the principles there that weekly yes. they gave of their own financial. Yes. Yep. And they did it first so they didn't forget. Yeah. You know? Right, right. Weekly giving done first. Yeah, first of the week. Yeah. Okay. Truth confessions. I went to the grocery store before I paid my tithe and accidentally dipped into it. And I know better. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Don't do it. Jeff. And, and now we're ready for the rest of the story. And I had a I had a car accident on the way home. And I hit my neck in the driveway. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. All right. So that they didn't forget. Uh, I got that noted down. Uh, good one. Okay. So here's um, the verse that really struck me when I read this text. Here we have stood before the Lord through His altar or later on, the temple or the tabernacle, right, standing in front of the parochet, however we're doing it. And part of the prayer is look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the ground that you have given us as you swore to our fathers a land flowing with milk and honey. There's something about the, that connection between people and the land 
and as that in, in mutual interdependence, uh, which we have all seen uh, as the people have returned to the land, the land has responded. But there's um, there's this blessing. But isn't it interesting where where Moses is asking us as part of our prayer to look down and linking that with that verse at the uh, uh, right at the start, go to the place where I will choose to put my temple. Go to the place where I choose to put my tabernacle. Go to the place where I choose to put my name. Yeah, name. And uh, so, guys, what do you make of that? Because I, I just want to add another one in before I throw it out for you guys for comments. I think uh, it's, the, it's the same question that we get. Same answer we get when we ask, who is the priest who serves in our day? Ooh. Oh, thank you, Ari. i got to write that one down. Who is the priest? Well, but there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ right. Jesus. So we don't need a priest now? Yeah. Do we? Right. Why not? That's a good answer, is it not? That doesn't say that you don't have pastors. It doesn't say you don't have dentists. Well, right? Paul said that he's given pastors and teachers and that Correct. kind of thing, but not a mediator between right. you and God. Right, 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 right. So, Aria, is that as, as a sufficient answer from Sharon? <laughs> well, let me get the verse. Don't take my word for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm innocent. No. <laughs> Important for you to just work out our answer for ourselves. Oh, okay. All right. No, I liked it, Sharon. It was great because it's, it's true you know, that we only have the one high priest and the one mediator, but that does not mean that there are no such things as pastors, teachers, prophets, you know, all those, those sort, of, yeah. sort of roles oh, exactly. that occur. Um, oh, exactly. Things. But we certainly only have the one, the one priest who takes this, this, this uh, offering. Um, but at the same time, I think, says that we shall all be priests and kings in the order of yeah, in the order of Melchizedek. Yeah, it gives another yeah. another uh, frame. Just like um, the nation of Israel is a holy nation, they're all kings and priests, a nation of priests, but they still have priests and Cohens. So I'm a Cohen. So you can't. Yeah, that's why there's one sitting there. That's why. That's why Roddy, when we were chatting the other week, when you guys were talking about a number of people that were interested in God, that I believe that we can all share whatever level level of knowledge of God that we have with our friends and compatriots. And sometimes there's an overemphasis on share. training and preparing people and making sure they're good enough or whatever to teach others. But my experience is that everyday people teach everyday people every day versus you have to reach a certain level of spirituality before you can share your faith with somebody else. If you become a Christian the first day, it's no different than if you've been a Christian for 40 years. Whatever level of knowledge and truth that you have about God, you share it. Oh, and yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Case in point, we got our little friend, Chabadnik friend here, Moti. He's been sharing uh, his new faith, which is, you know, reasonably brand new, with just about you know, every member of his family, right? Um, he's still alive, so that's a blessing. Sorry, was that Aria? I do know, however, that he seems to have lost all his hair. Yeah, yeah, that's a. But what's the thought? So is that in you guys' thinking that you each can start like a Bible study with a neighbor or somebody else that's interested yes. in God that you're able to or that you. You are free to just go ahead and do that versus. Okay. So 
we yes, you should all. I think everyone can study the Bible and start Bible studies, but that has not stopped the role of teacher being present. Oh, absolutely. And so, no, absolutely correct. Absolutely. So, so at the same time, you know, you've got um, people having these home Bible studies, big Bible studies, Zoom Bible studies, and, and <laughs> just like they they do all over the world. But at the same time, they go, all right, you know what? Still need a shepherd too. Still need someone who's always who yes. Give me some answers. Who's studied the the languages? Um, uh, you know, to my yeah, shepherd, not outside the local Yeah, not outside the local church, but affiliated with and through the right. fellow members of it. You know. Yeah. So yeah, um, just to buttress um, what Sharon said, you know, the woman that um, Yeshua met, um, the Samaritan woman by the well. Yeah. Um, Yeshua just met her for just a couple of hours and she had to go and evangelize the whole village and they all come running after Yeshua. I mean, the, the little you know, you can still share with somebody. Yeah. Yes, That's like she said, you don't need to get to that um, hyper-spiritual level before you can begin to share. I mean, Correct. you make mistakes, but you grow once you're sincere. For yeah. sure. Yeah, it's great. She was full of enthusiasm and said, you know, come and listen to the man who told me everything that I did. He didn't, yeah. but, you know, she yeah. was just so full of it. And it's like the, the guy who was um, healed, um, Jesus healed him, and he was drawn, he was pulled up before the high priest, uh, you know, the, the, the yeah. Pharisees, and <laughs> said, is it true? W uh, were you blind and now you can see? Mm. And he said, yep, it's true. Once I was blind, now I can see. Blind and it was Jesus see. who did it. And that, that was the level of his testimony, but it caused an, an amazing impact. Just, just the simple statement of the facts. Right. He had to be courageous, of course, to do so. Mm. But the, the power of that kind of testimony, just to say it straight, even if it's really simple. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also want to say something about verse fifteen briefly. Okay, go for it. I think uh, it is an an answer to a potential question about tithing, uh, like what do I get? in return you know get back in return so here it says uh, he will look down from his holy habitation from heavens and bless his people israel so you can say all the christian world or all the people uh also in commentary in rashi it says uh, he showers us with his unbounded uh, blessings so we can fulfill this commandment again so like what do you get back when you do this commandment, which was the first fruits, now you can replace it with tithing. So he always looks down from heavens and sees that uh, we fulfill his commandments of tithing. So he blesses us again, so we can do that again. Yeah. So it's yeah, like an right. answer. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. the ongoing cycle of, yeah. uh, of, of blessing, receiving a blessing and blessing again. This is very similar that I want to bring now is um, Solomon's dedication to the temple, where in 2 Chronicles 6, verse 1, and I am aware of the time, so I will not go too long. Uh, then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. All right. But I have built you an exalted house a place for you to dwell forever. Okay, great. Now that's the, the first verse. But then listen to how Solomon 
as he, as he talks about uh, where God is. Likewise, and this is now in verse 32 of Second Chronicles 6.32. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, comes from a far country, so we're definitely talking about the foreigner here, for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arms, who's heard of the great miracles that God has done. When he comes and prays towards this house, <coughs> hear from heaven, your dwelling place. So isn't that interesting, okay? that he, uh, uh, Solomon is, 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 is again reflecting an interesting paradox about God. God is in his holy temple, yes, and also no. He's also <laughs> there and he's not there. He's, um, I, as I was reading some of the different commentaries about this, I came across a very interesting midrash um, on, on uh, the question of when God made the earth, he made somewhere where he was not. Like before he made the heavens and the earth, he's everywhere. And then he made the heavens and the earth, and he was not somewhere. And well. he came down to visit <laughs> Adam. And so they, they go, oh, my gosh, how can that possibly be possible? And they go, well, we don't understand. <laughs> Just like well, he, Solomon. Well, he's a spiritual being, so he's omnipresent, though. Well, from we other get it. But the text also says he came down. And walked with Adam, which implies that before he came down, he was not there. In a not in a there. sense, do you understand? It's, yeah. it's in a sense, not, and in other senses, he's everywhere. Like we use the word omnipresent, but both Moses and Solomon are reflecting that God will put His name in a special place. Yes, we do have a holy place. We have a holy land. We have a holy people. We have a holy city. We have a holy temple, holy tabernacle, but at the same time, I look down from heaven. So where's then the in the New Testament, though? But in the New Testament, we become the temple of God. Humans. Correct. We correct, and yet you still pray, "Our Father in heaven," not "Our Father who's sitting in the girl next to me," "Our <laughs> Father who's in you know right. the bloke across the street." We so still his throne. His throne is in heaven. Okay, but. What does that mean? You know, it, 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 it's a, it's a, it, these are concepts we can't possibly get our head around other than it's very interesting that, there's a, that Moses has already set up, don't idolize this temple too much. Right. God is everywhere, right? And um, because this is going to get destroyed. And if you've made this your God, you're in real trouble because right. God is still God even if this house is destroyed. And that was a, that was a theological problem for a lot of people. And, um, and yet, you know, it's, it's overcome. And, uh, uh, and, and, and I think this is a, just for me, as I was reading, this is the bit that stood out the most. It's like, wow, what is Moses doing? Look down from heaven. I could just imagine the priests and the Levites of the tabernacle looking at him going, mm -hmm. dude, what are you doing? What is this? <laughs> yeah, what's behind the parochet? I'll show you. Ta da! You know, um, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. they're a little, little, little annoyed. Yeah. But, um, but Moses is doing something very interesting, you know? Well, so, uh, I think Moshe, you know, we call him our teacher. He probably saw the days of Jesus and the Brit Chadasha was coming and the blessing the temple. 
Maybe yeah. that's why he said that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's <laughs> it in some verses, which I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But they say that they looked ahead, they saw this, and uh, and they prepared for it. Oh, in Hebrews it says Abraham. So, yeah. Yes, yes, that's right. In Abraham, yeah. But we can, by extension, so what? So what, boys? Yeah, let's give it. Give he it. His day and rejoiced. So his day. Salvation. Yeah, he saw the salvation. Oh. Which would be your right. Yeah, um, a lot of people believe that it was um, when they met Melchizedek that it referred to us. When um, um, Yish, when Abraham saw my days and rejoiced, you know, the rabbis went very angry with him when he said that. They said, um, you're not even um, 50 years old and you claim to see um, Avenu, our father, um, Abraham. Uh, you know, it was um, yeah. for them, it's, it was like, um, you know, you're insulting us or things like that. And um, but yeah. um, Paul speak about um, Melchizedek in, in, in another way. And um, it, there's a lot of teaching out there that kind of not want to pick Melchizedek um, because we have some rabbinic teaching that um, Shem is actually, um, Shem, one of the sons of um, Noah, is actually who Melchizedek is. Um, but um, it, it, it's, it's not very clear um, from those yeah. teachings. Yeah, and just speaking about the presence of God, like in Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24, he says, Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see, declare, see them, declares the Lord? Do I not, do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. So yep. God fills everything, Correct. but then at the same time. Correct. I don't know, it shows his Shekinah glory to certain times. I don't know. I don't get it. That's that's the thing. It's It's, an incredible paradox. It's an amazing thing where you just go, you know, Lord, I don't understand, but I believe. And and so when it's time to pray, our Father in heaven, as opposed to our Father and my little mate down in Nigeria or nowhere else. But uh, it's... (laughs) it's, uh, it's, (laughs) No. It talks about the active presence of God. There is what we call an active presence of God when God is doing something. And yes, you could see that God is doing something physical. But omnipresent presence of God is everywhere at every time. You know, um, David said that even in hell, if I go to hell, you are there. Right. So, yeah. But we don't say God is in hell, just like... Uh, <laughs> no. yeah, that's right. That would be a really weird <laughs> prayer. <Okay. laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's everywhere, quite all right. But we, we refer to his throne when we want to pray to him. And um, even the uh, Hamikdash that's um, supposed to be the house of God on earth, you know, it's very interesting how God described the Hamikdash. He says, um, it shall be called my house of prayer. My house of prayer in the sense that God is the one praying. He didn't say your house of prayer. He said my house of prayer as if God himself is the right. one that is going to be doing the prayers himself. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to pray too. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.